You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. Visit us online at kingswisbeach.org.uk. So, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, a chosen place. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Epaphras, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And we hear that being read quite a lot at this time of year, and we'll be finding out why in just a moment. So I'm starting off a three-part series. Um, we've got three Sundays, including this one, um, up until Christmas Day leading up to that. And over these three ser- sermons, we're going to be looking at Bethlehem. What can we learn from Bethlehem in the lead up to Christmas? Because, of course, that's where all the action takes place. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the word Bethlehem, it immediately triggers thoughts and images in my mind. Um, I get whisked away in a cloud of tinsel and fairy lights. And I think Christmas, oh yeah. And I start to hum, oh little town of Bethlehem, oh yeah, Bethlehem, yeah, I know the place, yeah. And often our sanitized and often incorrect notions of the Christmas story come flooding in. So, I just want to unpack some of this today. I'm glad Clive brought a map. I was going to show a map on the screen, but we have a map there, so that is brilliant. Um, And Clive made a good point of saying that Bethlehem is a real place. It exists, yeah? Margaret was saying that Margaret and Calder were there recently. They went and visited biblical historical sites and Bethlehem was one of the places where they visited. Bethlehem is real, yeah? Just like where we're sitting now. It's a real place with real people in it. And Often, I think, some people feel that, oh, well, you know, they hear the Christmas story or they they watch a nativity play at a school and somehow Bethlehem becomes sort of part of a, a fantasy story. But it's rooted in reality. And, you know, because it's a real place, it's filled with real people. And real people who face real problems and dilemmas. Jesus was born into the mess of this world because only he could clean it up. So we found it a bit earlier on the map. Can we remember where it is? So we've got the river running straight down and a lot of places are nearby the river which makes sense 
Nazareth, as Maddie correctly said earlier on, was where Jesus grew up. And that's where Mary and Joseph kind of came from. And that's up north, quite away up north. Okay? And they had to move south because, and a lot of us know the story, that a census was decreed. And you have to go back to the town where your family originates from. So, off they go. Joseph's family's ancestral hometown was Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is all the way down. You almost follow the river straight down, right? Uh, but it's even a bit further south than Jerusalem is. But it's pretty close to Jerusalem. Okay? So they travel there. Yeah, I'll leave it there. Right. We talk about Bethlehem a lot because every year Christmas comes around. So every year we hear about Bethlehem. But did you know that the Christmas story, this nativity scene, is not the first place where Bethlehem is mentioned in the Bible? Apart from Clive and Fiona, because they're preaching in this series, who else can think of where else Bethlehem is mentioned in other stories? It's, a, it's quite tricky. It's, it's a task because Bethlehem and Christmas are so linked. So in Genesis we see it. In Genesis 35 actually, we have Rachel who was the wife of Isaac. Rachel was buried in Bethlehem. In the book of Ruth, that's where Ruth meets Boaz, the family redeemer in Bethlehem. In 1 Samuel, it's David's birthplace. David is born in Bethlehem. Yes, later on through exploits and things, um, Jerusalem gets labeled the city of David because David reigned there and was like, you know, this sort of hero king for the Israelite nation. But the locals in Bethlehem, because David was from Bethlehem, and he's one of our boys, you know, they, they would call their, their town, you know, this is, the, this is the, the, the city of David, they would say as well. Right. Predictive text on your phone. Yeah? Who's been caught out by it before and sent some strange garbled message to someone with weird words in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've got to be really careful because my mother-in-law's name, Anna, when you type that in on predictive text, it comes up as bomb. So you've got to, <laughs> you've got to be careful not to let predictive text take control when you're sending Anna a message. Uh, but there are many predictive texts in the Bible about the birth of the Messiah. And we see one here, today's passage in Micah. And several of them are read out during the Christmas season. You often hear them at carol concerts and things as well. And today's verse is part of the prophecy given to Micah, saying that in Bethlehem, 
The Messiah, the Savior, will be born. The Messiah will come from Bethlehem. And this is why there's a great expectation at the beginning of the New Testament as it's all unfolding that the Messiah would be born there because it's David's city. We see later on in John 7, 42, there's a bit of confusion. There's a bit of sort of disagreement. So say, well, who is this Jesus? He's from Galilee. How can he be claiming to be the Messiah? We know he's from He's from Nazareth. He's from Galilee. He's not from Bethlehem. So that doesn't fit with what the prophets have said. So how can this be? Um, because, of course, his hometown, as we said, is Nazareth up in the north. Um, but Bethlehem is down in the south. But we know that he was actually born there because the census caused them to go there. Kind of like me, I can say, when I meet people, where are you from? I say, well, I'm from Wisbeach. And people say, oh, well, that's strange because you've got a funny accent. Is that what they sound like in Wisbeach? I'm like, well, no, I'm from Wisbeach because I live there, but I was born in Zimbabwe, halfway around the world, right? Similar thing here. And because of the census, we can see God working. I, who knows if, if the government authorities were in tune with God, whether they knew that God was orchestrating things. I doubt it very much. They were doing what they wanted to do because they wanted to do it, right? But we see God working in and through civil governments here to fulfill his plans and purposes. The census has to happen. And it's not just, it's not just Oh, poor old Mary and Joseph, they've got to go from up north down south. It's the entire region. Every single person. Everybody. Not just two people and a donkey. Everyone has to pack their bags, uproot, and go to wherever. Have you ever played that board game? Um, what's it called? Chinese checkers, where you've got the colored pegs and you've got to move from the one triangle of the board across to the other. And when there's lots of you playing, halfway through the game, the middle of the board, it gets really muddled and, and you can't really move because there's all these other pieces and colors all going in different directions. That's what it was like. Everyone has to uproot and move and everyone's moving, getting to where they need to be. Lots of chaos. But we can see in it, God working and unfolding his plans and purposes. God's sovereign choices were working things to ultimately fulfill his will and his word. That was true then. It's still true now. He hasn't stopped. God is still working to fulfill his will. And his word. And you know, we're invited to join in with that. We're invited to partner with him, to be obedient to his leading and his calling. We can help to bring about his will, or we can fight against it. Although, if we do, we'll be on the losing side. 
He can see the big picture. He stands outside of time. He knows the beginning and the end. We don't. We are finite and can only catch a glimpse of our small part in the huge tapestry of history. We need to trust God. And we need to trust that he knows what he's doing. And then we need to step out in faith. How can we know God is faithful and true? How can God be trusted? How can we put our trust in God to just step out and do what he says? Well, he can be. Let's just look at Bethlehem. Let's just look at Bethlehem. He promises Bethlehem that a ruler of Israel, whose origins are from ancient times, from eternity, will come from within it. We can see throughout the Bible that Bethlehem is woven into the story of Israel from the very beginning. And we can see God working and fulfilling his word faithfully. It also tells us that Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, though you are small, Bethlehem was not a grand place. It wasn't a tourist hot spot, right? Like it might be today, lots of tourists, or so not really. You're saying it's kind of occupied by a lot of Muslims at the moment, and there's difficulties traveling between the, the region at the moment. Okay. But it is on the map of people going to visit the Holy Land. It was a second-rate town near to Jerusalem, yeah, where all the excitement happened, where all the important stuff went on, where all the important people were over in Jerusalem. And yes, David, the great king, came out of Bethlehem, right? But this was, this was like their, their, their claim to fame that a bygone king once walked our streets when he was a kid. Does this remind you of anything? With speech? We're often treated like and spoken of as a second-rate town. If Facebook is anything to go by, you, wouldn't think, you would think Wisbeach was one of the most awful places to live in Western Europe. We do have our problems like anywhere else. Hey, we also have a local hero, Thomas Clarkson. He came from here. He went up and teamed up with William Wilberforce in London, where all the action happens, yeah, to help bring an end to the slave trade. But he once walked our streets. He was born here. Thomas Clarkson was from Wisbeach, just like Bethlehem. Hey, King David was from Bethlehem, right? But if you asked most people in Wisbeach, if you asked them, I bet you they wouldn't expect anything significant to come out of Wisbeach today. this was the same in Bethlehem around the time of Jesus' birth. Though you are small among the clans of Judah. 
And how many of us see ourselves as small? Now, I want you to know that there is nothing wrong with small. Small is often better than big. Yeah? Culture today shouts at us, you have to be number one. You have to be the winner. You have to be the biggest. You have to be the best. And that's what we see everyone chasing after. I want to be the best. I want to win this reality TV show. If I come second, it's the end of the world and my life isn't worth living because I wasn't the winner. Right? It's so unachievable. It's so unrealistic. Chasing after these things. Small is often better than big. And if our smallness involves obeying God and worshipping him in our own small way, we are onto a much better way and quality of life than someone who is chasing after big things in their own strength apart from God. And just as he did in Bethlehem, God can work within our smallness and achieve big things for his kingdom. See, God chooses the lowly and insignificant places. And indeed, the lowly and insignificant people to demonstrate his power and his purpose. So let us allow God to demonstrate his power in and through our lives, in and through our church, and even in and through Wisbeach. The truth is nothing is insignificant if it is in the hand of God. If we are in God's hands, we are not insignificant. Now, there might be some listening today who think, well, you know, I don't feel small. I feel quite big. And, you know, I'm all right with that. Why do I have to be small? You know, why do I have, you know, I don't want to lower my ambition or whatever. Or I hold a high-powered job. Are you asking me to give that up? Well, no. If we, if we are in that position, that's all right. It's kind of like Jerusalem, the next-door neighbor town or city, okay? You know, God uses the rich and the poor. God uses the weak and the powerful. But the thing to take away from this, if, if you're in that position, is don't underestimate other people. You might be big. You might be in a position of influence or authority or whatever. Okay, use that for the glory of God. But don't underestimate those who you think, oh, they're insignificant. How can they possibly have an impact or, or be significant. No, they can, because God works with the, the big and the small. Bethlehem may be underrated, the humble birthplace of Jesus, like that of a working class peasant, not in palaces with all its finery and wealth. Remember, that's where the, 
the Magi, the kings who came looking for him, were expecting to find him. They went to Jerusalem. They went to the palace. Where is this newborn king? Oh, he isn't here. But Jesus wasn't insignificant. His birth wasn't insignificant. And Bethlehem, the place, was not insignificant either because God was in it all. So if we allow God to work in us and through us, albeit however underrated we may be or we may feel, he can achieve amazing things. Amen. Oh,